Chamge chito ap kolenjin kainenyu kekurena Amy Yatich kimito komasta noton nebo Brooklyn Combine en komasta noton nebo New York akabaibai missing asikemuch ketestai ngoret noton nekararan Yo chop run up power move on May I say something to you to give you a true knowledge of yourself and life so that the same glory and success attained by other men who understand themselves may be yours? Man in the full knowledge of himself is a superb and supreme creature of creation. When man becomes possessor of the knowledge of himself, he becomes master of his environment, the captain of his own ship, the director of his own destiny, the accomplisher of his own ends. Um, today we're at the Brooklyn Combine. Um, uh, on a Sunday afternoon with two beautiful women to talk about the community and the environment and colonialism and anything that you guys would like to talk about. Um, who's here today besides myself? There's Rudy. Um, Phil Shunk. I'm Kenneth's legal in, in, guardian. In me, I'll explain to you after no, okay. um, yeah. I'm Kenneth's legal guardian whatever for the record Philip Shaw this is Jungwon Kim uh, I'm Emmy's colleague at the Rainforest Alliance and also a Brooklynite and Emmy Yatich right yeah right? <laughs> and I am Emmy Yatich Chagalat Chelagat. Yeah, Chelagat is my middle name. Do I need to say all? Yeah, my name is Amy Mm -hmm. Chelagat Yatich. Can you explain the Che thing? Uh, The Chelagat is uh, my, like, Kalenjin name. Mm -hmm. I'm from the Kalenjin tribe in Mm -hmm. Kenya. Mm -hmm. And it means, uh, in Kalenjin tribe, we we give our names at according to time, like mm-hmm. the time you were born. Mm-hmm. So like Chelagat means was born at night. Mm-hmm. And this applies also to like the male counterpart where when I'm Chelagat, the male will be called Kiplagat. Meaning, when Meaning you... the, I, he was born at night right. also, but okay. because he's male, so he's yeah. Kip. Okay. And I'm female, I'm Chep. Chep. So we just share the lagat at the end. Mm-hmm. So if I'm female, I'm chelagat. Mm-hmm. If he's male, he's kip lagat. Mm-hmm. We that's how we do our naming okay. convention. But now it depends with the time you were born. Mm-hmm. If you are born in the morning, you call like kip korir. Uh, if you are born like at late night, not mm-hmm. not at night, mm-hmm. but late like at six pm, mm-hmm. you call like kip kim boy. Mm. What does Kipchoge mean? Kipchoge means he was born next to the granary. So maybe the mother went into labor when he was like uh, seated next to the granary. And maybe she couldn't be rushed to the hospital on time. So maybe she gave birth at home next to the granary. So it's called Kipchoge. Do you think that's why he became the world's fastest runner? (laughs) Because I don't know. Born next <laughs> to but the also, we have like uh, other runners 
who do very, very, very well. well. Yeah. But I think Kipchoge does like an exemplary job. He's really, we are proud of him, very, mm. very proud of mm. him as a nation. Mm. And um, we have other runners who've really done us good. And others have also moved like to America mm-hmm. to, to do the same, to run for America, yeah. maybe to run for Kenya, to Libya, mm-hmm. to have citizenship here. We allow mm-hmm. dual citizenship in Kenya. So we have really good, good runners. And you, other upcoming ones is really coming up, yeah. Um, you know, listening to you, you know, I, I'm I'm a I don't uh, Rudy and, and Phil, they they know their heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, Rudy heritage stems from Haiti. Phil's from Guyana. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know mine. My my parents are part of the Great Migration mm-hmm. here in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, but listening to you, it makes me realize um, that you have a group of people here. Many of us who. We're stripped of our religion and our customs, um, our language. So even this English language that I've um, had to learn, which is my the only language that I, I know or speak fluently, um, it wasn't my original language. And it's a reminder listening to you that um, a big part of, of colonialism and neo-colonialism or imperialism was literally to take and strip people away from the things that they were most comfortable with um, and looking at you know and we're in a day and age now where even Africa after all you know British colonialism and imperialism and American and France and you know all these different countries Africa is still on the radar for a lot of these corporations and countries and, and, and taking some of the most uh, precious resources of the world how do you do as a person who's from Kenya and very in tune to what's going on around you in the environment, how do you feel about um, colonialism? Do you have any thoughts on colonialism? Um, I can say a little bit about um, my thoughts. I, I was not there when they we only came. Care about, we yeah. only care about your thoughts. But. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I was not there when they, they came to Africa and uh, it is what they did was what I'm feeling right now because mm. like when the colonialists came to Africa and uh, Kenya to mm-hmm. be precise is they introduced some of the things which were not there like most parts of Kenya was covered with forest and now that they they had to come they introduced things like tea plantations and uh, this means they had to at least destroy some part of the forests mm-hmm. in order to get space to plant tea. Mm-hmm. At first, it was a very, very good thing because Africans, I believe, uh, didn't know about it, didn't have any clue what happens to about tea. But after they received, like, it is a cash crop. It can earn them something small for a living. Mm-hmm. They embraced it so well. Mm-hmm. And they also went ahead and created more space to get more land to plant tea, but mm-hmm. didn't really recognize that this was bringing harm because the more they destroyed the forests, the more uh, climate change mm. was being experienced. Like every other time, you can't get enough rain. Mm-hmm. And now that the population is really growing big each time, everyone would want to create their own space to mm-hmm. get to plant this tea. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is really, really bringing um, change. I can say 
somehow negative change because right now we're really destroying our forests up to back in 1990s we'd really destroyed our forests to an extent where we had just two percent forest cover in kenya mm-hmm. which was really really bad because we were experiencing climate change remember this tea needs a uh, rainfall in mm-hmm. order for it to grow so mm-hmm. well and with, without that rainfall it means this tea we cannot produce it well it's not mm. sustainable it cannot even be like good tea for export remember mm. as a, i think i said it in kalenjin kenya is the largest exporter of tea they import more tea mm-hmm. than they take because it is like the third largest country uh, in the world producing tea after india and china then kenya follows but mm. india and china i think take more of their tea and uh, market they take to the market a few is uh, less goes to the market but in kenya more goes to the market than what we take and and less goes to the actual yeah so with the introduction of like tea which was not really in africa not really in kenya in fact people people didn't really know about tea with the arrival of the colonialism now they introduced tea they made people believe that this is something they should embrace Mm -hmm. and i can tell you it was really and it's really embraced in kenya because like the government gdp seven percent of it come from tea mm-hmm. and uh, that is something i'm very very sure my government in kenya cannot let go because yeah. it really helps the nation mm-hmm. so how can we do to ensure that we still uh, have this seven percent gdp as a nation and mm-hmm. also conserve the environment because the more we see the population growing we see more people wanting to destroy the forests to create more land, right. to produce more tea, mm-hmm. in order to continue with their livelihoods, in order to continue maybe educating their children, getting more money to do other things. So with the introduction of the colonialism, I can say it really, really impacted us. At first we didn't see it, but right now it's really, really hitting us. As mm-hmm. much as it was like 2% in the 1990s, we've really tried as a nation to bring it back. We are now at um, 7%, 7.4%. Mm-hmm and uh, the global like the global need for us to have a forest cover of like 10 percent so we are about like we're remaining like 3.6 percent to be at 10 percent which we really really uh, working hard as a nation or kenyan government and its people is really doing a great job i can say they're really doing a great job of ensuring that trees are being planted Mm -hmm. and uh, in 2018 february the government gave a ban on logging in government forests we still have very very big government forests with indigenous trees mm-hmm. and very very lovely trees which i think if one day you choose to come to africa come to kenya and you have to see our lovely forests yeah, i wanted they to really go to kenya last year <laughs> yeah. but i am pretty sure. yeah so and um that is really what the government is doing to ensure that um the forest cover is not depleted we really want to ensure that this 10 percent we reach to this 10 uh, percent which is really needed from us mm-hmm. and the government after burning the logging in forests it, di- it didn't only like worked with the government forests alone even individuals even if it is your tree you planted it in, it, it in your compound you don't need to just cut a tree you have to like seek permission from your chief we still have like lo- local governments mm-hmm. like the chief the administrative then a uh, local are, administration or the local governments yeah the local governments which they, are devolved are they voted 
by anyone uh we have we have in kenya we have like the national government mm-hmm. headed by the president mm-hmm. then we come to the county government mm-hmm. which is headed by the governor mm-hmm. and also there is a senator in that government in mm-hmm. that uh, county government mm-hmm. then we have the local chiefs these local chiefs are not voted in we only vote the president and the governor and senator and also in these counties we still have like constituencies which are really a little bit smaller than the county which are headed by the member of parliament they're still voted in by people and after that now we have the local government this this small local government like the chiefs are not voted in but they are elected they are nominated by the government officials in order to add the some small small regions like small small communities and these people like really know what is going on in their communities they can know everyone in their community so they are in touch with anyone who is around the community they also know the number of people in their community and um do they tell the people in the community who to vote for in the national elections and such people who are elected by the uh, who are nominated by the government officials are not allowed to do politics okay and if you like do politics you're you won't be given that chance to lead the people because it will be like you will be following someone's opinion mm-hmm. maybe you wanted them to be voted in so that person can drive you to say things which they want mm-hmm. so these people who really worked in the local government and which who are not elected by the people mm-hmm. are not allowed to do any politics any active or any, or even be associated with like politics because they will be seen like they are lying in a certain direction which mm-hmm. is not the government's wish that they do that so if you're like seen doing that or found doing that you might be kicked out from the leadership because it's something which uh, really doesn't go in line with what the government wants you to do mm-hmm. you have to serve the people not sidelining them or not like working towards a certain direction so i think they don't really do politics okay yeah it's interesting Um how did you and Jangwon meet? Wow. Okay, I work in Rainforest Alliance uh, in Kenya in mm. a project. This project is called uh, Acha E R C H E R and it's an abbreviation to mean empowering rural communities with renewable energy. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is a project which is funded by the IKEA Foundation to really work towards rural communities to ensure that uh, we introduce an alternative to use of firewood remember uh, with the tea landscapes uh, having really been the largest uh, part of what people or places where people want to plant tea and they have to destroy like forests or they have to go to encroach the forest in order to get land to plant the tea mm-hmm. and uh, in this project we don't work alone like as rainforest alliance we have partners we identified partners and uh, one of our partner is the Kenya Tea Development Agency which in short is KTDA KTDA is like uh, in Kenya it's like a parastatal it's partly owned by the government and partly owned by the uh, tea farmers and uh, Kenya Tea Development um, Agency as like right now 71 or it man 71 tea factories 
they're owned by the farmers and partly by the government and these tea factories are the largest consumers of wood this is because uh, they use uh, wood fuel to heat up their boilers to with a tea and uh, when the colon- when colonialism when the colonial colonizers came to Africa they uh, when they planted tea they made those boilers and those boilers suited just maybe p- to use wood fuel mm-hmm. it is not made in a way that it can use another alternative source of uh, energy and that is why in this project we are just doing like a 30% switch partial switch because if you do like a full switch those boilers might not really work well with the use of uh, the alternative source of fuel and the what we are doing or what we are promoting as a project right now is use of uh, biomass briquettes mm-hmm. these biomass briquettes are made out of um, sugar baggers when sugar has been grinded what remains from the sugar mm-hmm. it is pressed compressed to form mm-hmm. like um, briquettes we also use like sawdust. Remember, even if we have to really conserve the forests, we cannot like hundred percent do it because we still need timber, which is used mm-hmm. to make maybe chairs, tables. So what remains like the sawdust? You compress. You make um, briquettes. We also use like. Uh, as I said, the project is empowering rural communities. So as much as we empower the factories not to use firewood, our largest consumer of wood is also the households. In Africa or in Kenya, the rural communities still use wood fuel for cooking, heating their homes, and doing... So, so yeah. how, how, is, how are you educating the, the people in the rural parts of Kenya mm-hmm. to possibly consider using different energy sources if they don't they if they don't if they don't have any um history or or yeah. or um I, I guess they don't have any information that would lead them it seems like you know whether you're in um most societies the people in the in the rural areas they're just more or less about surviving a lot of the times so how do you convince them to do something that they never even considered yeah, uh, as I said earlier, we have uh, we are working with partners. So yeah. apart from the Kenya Tea Development Agency, we have also a partner called yeah. Enso Impact. Mm-hmm. Enso Impact works directly with the rural communities. Remember, climate change is not just something which like few people can see. Mm-hmm. Everyone can really experience climate yeah. change. They can, yeah. tell. can tell the rainfall patterns are really changing. How is it? Cha- how is climate change change the, the people in rural communities? Yeah, it changes because like uh, I can tell an exp- uh, like a scenario in my community. Mm-hmm. In my in my village, we do plant like uh, maize and wheat, mm-hmm. and we do it like once a year. Mm-hmm. And uh, the long rains we normally experience long rains from March to mid June. But right now, like even January, it rains in January. It rains anyhow. You cannot just tell when the rain comes, mm-hmm. when it will stop, when can we plant, no, so when can we stop. Oh, wow. So there is that pattern where people are even cannot even predict when can we do our planting. Mm. When can we harvest? Because mm-hmm. at times it's harvesting season and it's so it's raining like even the food is getting bad in the mm-hmm. farms. You cannot mm-hmm. even harvest. That's uh, we could see even like 
it really affects different sectors because when you harvest food like maize from the farms when it's really raining it's you cannot even have enough maybe because we still do like we use the sunshine to dry mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's no sunshine because it's raining mm-hmm. and we experience a lot of like it goes bad aflatoxin and all that so mm-hmm. it you see at the end of the day we also don't get enough food because all that is like a waste it's not uh, it cannot be taken it's not good for human consumption mm. so these people are also experiencing that they can tell that there's Maybe really so. change mm-hmm. so it's not like hard to convince them to know that um, there is a climate change okay. you just you just need to tell them that, that is climate change yeah. others might not understand what's going on and how can we reach them we mm. also have like uh, through the, our, our our partner and so impact who ensure that they reach to the rural communities teach them the importance of conserving the environment mm-hmm. how can we do this in rural kenya we still like can't just shift from use of the local three stone fire where you put like three stones literally and burn wood to get fire mm-hmm. you can just shift from that and to use of maybe electricity so you need to at least grow and that we do by like making household briquettes these are briquettes which are made maybe from charcoal dust they are mm-hmm. also made from twigs which are um, they have to make some stuff and make those uh, small small uh, briquettes which can be lit in the house and this also not only like saves the environment it's clean energy mm-hmm. which means uh, no smoke, no smoke. Okay. they're smokeless and this this is a health community at the end of the day we save the environment we also ensure that we don't get many people getting sick mm-hmm. and also um this can help also community because it is something which maybe cooks faster than firewood you cannot like more fire escaping and little mm-hmm. fire goes to the food and this is really really uh, like helping the communities we can see that the project is now it started in 2017 june up to now uh, it's going through to 2021 june mm-hmm. and we're really seeing a great impact because the community is embracing everyone would want to see the 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 climate change issue being dealt with because it doesn't just affect the government it affects even the people and the people are the ones who suffer most yeah. because the most of the people like uh, in rural communities people still own large junk of land and they would want to plant that land they not only plant for their own food but also some food to be sold for them to get money if mm. they don't get this that land is like of no use to them so they would also want to see that um, this issue is dealt with and we can still go, we can go back to our normal way of living may i add mm. some yeah. some yeah. observations to what you were saying yeah. so just to give a little context 75% of working kenyans work in agriculture okay. so yeah. when emmy is saying everybody feels climate change very acutely i mean everybody's feeling it it's an agrarian mm-hmm. society so before colonization people really had their sort of thriving local mm-hmm. agrarian economies so they were you know trading in a much sort of smaller scale mm-hmm. community level um you know before the sort of um globalization mm-hmm. came and changed the economy um the other thing i observation that i wanted to share when i went to visit the project site 
uh, and I met the Enso Impact um, partners. The Rainforest Alliance always works with local organizations. Um, otherwise, the project just can't mm-hmm. succeed. You don't mm-hmm. have the local knowledge or the cultural mm-hmm. fluency. One thing about Enso Impact that I thought was really, really smart is they're igniting a culture change about energy by mainly focusing on women. Okay. So if you want to change the culture of household energy use, you get a bunch of women involved. So the field workers who go to visit the communities, they're all women. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what they do is they, um, uh, they sort of recruit local women, um, sometimes men, but really with a focus on women, who um, kind of have an entrepreneurial personality but also care deeply about the environment. And then they do some sort of technical training with those women and um, help them become energy entrepreneurs and sell um, these small sort of interim solutions. So she was talking about the, the switch between firewood and electric stoves. You can't just go from firewood to electric stoves. A lot of people don't have electricity. Mm-hmm. They don't have the solar in place. So. You know, there's a sort of multi-level, like a step-by-step change that you have to do. So you go from the three-stone fire to a clay stove that uses um, biomass briquettes or eco-briquettes, for example. And then you go from that to the next level that uses the pellets. Mm -hmm. But that's more of like a a metal and ceramic-style stove. And then eventually, you know, when more people have solar in place, like in Uganda, for example, the Ugandan... Um, energy sector is it's almost leapfrogging fossil fuels in a way by Mm -hmm. necessity and they're really going hard on solar and hopefully the same thing will happen in Kenya because there is so much sun but um, the reason that I bring up the observation about women is I think in the world of you know sustainable international development it's a it's a well-known philosophy or a proven philosophy that to really change a culture and to make any place more sustainable you always focus on the women and if you empower women or give them access to uh, microloans or even some basic uh, kind of technologies and financial administrative Mm -hmm. tools that um, they also can increase the yield Mm-hmm. on any given piece of land by up to 30%. So given that the way that with the way climate change is accelerating so quickly, they're predicting that within just a few decades that we'll have massive global food shortages unless smallholder farmers can basically like double their output. Mm. And the way to really do that is to focus on women because they are able to take production to the next level Mm -hmm. and then the other um, sort of aspect of that is many studies have shown that women spend more on their families and on their communities so they spend more on their children for education they spend more on health care for their families and then they spend more on their communities in general so it kind you know it's March 1st it's Mm -hmm. women's month so it's a good time to kind of remember that um, uplifting women and making sure they have act it's simply just making sure they have access Mm -hmm. to this same kind of financing and technical how do, tools. How do you, how do, you do that? Um, before we continue, let's mm-hmm. stop for a quick um, break and then uh, we'll come back. Yeah. Is there any kind of music that you'd like to hear? Yes. Right. 
Is music. there any music that you want to hear? <laughs> Uh, New York music. No, no, we want Kenyan music. No, I don't want Kenyan music. I'm going to no. listen that at home. Yeah, yeah. New York music. Right now, but for when the podcast plays. Yeah, you know, should we put the song that we're going to use for the video? Carido, from, yeah, from just a band. Just a band. what we're going to use for our um, it's um, Swahili oh, and basically what they're saying is wake up be alert it's like be be alert stop just being there stop being passive yeah I could just there uh, do nothing you have to be at least shower. step up yeah step up yeah yeah step up Stop being like just like idling, passive. passive. Yeah, yeah. You're doing nothing. You're just there. Maybe when people say we go this direction, we're there. When people say now we're heading this direction, you're just heading there. You don't know even what's going on. Yeah. When you ask, Have what a, are you doing? You're like, I yeah. don't know. At least you need, you need to be informed. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It talks much like that, about that. Yeah. yeah. I think we all need to be informed and yeah. in particular about what you guys are talking about. Yeah. <clears throat> it's it's really cool to hear how much information number one you guys have on 
this immense topic that is the topic at hand pretty much everywhere because we're we're feeling the effects of this global change and the effects of the environment from you know the weather to how the landscape has changed as a result and so you you guys are working on this project tell us a little bit about I guess how it started and you know yeah well I mean, it started because the Rainforest Alliance has always worked in the Kenya tea sector, so we already had strong relationships with the Kenya Tea Development Agency. Um, One thing I should mention is that the Kenya Tea Development Agency, um, it doesn't represent all tea farmers, it represents smallholder tea farmers. And that's a really important um, constituency because it helps to organize a really large number of people to kind of get everyone to move in the same direction. And that's kind of what we really need um, in terms of global climate action. Mm-hmm. You know, political what? or not political. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we, you know, it can be political or yeah. you can you could call it political, whatever label you want to put on it. But it's really about mobilization. So Kenya Tea Development Agency, um, the membership, or you know, it represents six hundred thousand smallholder farmers. Wow. And Kenya has probably in total something like seven hundred thousand tea yeah. farmers, S- smallholder farmers. Smallholder farmers. Smallholder. I was going to ask what what is the real difference between a smallholder farmer yeah. and um, they have small parcels of land. Right, but it, is there like also like a um, is that purely it, or is, is like a large manufacturer? They yeah. come in here with machinery, and yeah, is this so like a, a traditional way of doing it? The smallholder tea farmers generally are small operations. They're sort of like family farms and family operations. Yeah. They're not corporatized. It's not industrial scale farming, um, and it also means that for most, the vast majority of these six hundred thousand farmers. They're they're basically subsistence level farmers with tea as their main cash crop. So what we're really talking about with our work there um, is the fact that okay, you know, colon- British colonists came in. They basically changed the entire landscape of Kenya's uh, mountainous central region. Mm-hmm. They did a lot of damage. Um, but at this point now, hundreds and thousands of farmers, hundreds of thousands of farmers are really dependent on tea as a cash crop. So it wouldn't work for the government to just say, stop farming trees, stop tea. farming tea yeah. and plant trees and mm-hmm. have a forest because yeah. people have that's, no other means of earning that's income. That's their source of income. So that's yes. the, uh, sort yeah. of So you have to mm-hmm. think of a way to, I guess what we're doing in a way is a harm reduction mm. and attempting to repair at least or to minimize the the ecological damage that was created by colonialism. Um, and that's really, really important to the tea farmers themselves. So we don't want to look at the tea farmers and say, oh, these are the bad guys because they're deforesting. No, it's that they literally have no other means available to earn cash and colonization and, and the global economic system in general kind of created a single or dual export economy 
in many cu- countries like yeah. Kenya. Mm-hmm. So even if Kenyans suddenly decided that they, you know, she they told me there's them. avocados. They just yeah. there's like avocados just grow really well in Kenya, mm-hmm. but there's not they they haven't not yet developed the agricultural export market wow. for avocados, so they can't just switch. That's mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. that's the important point here. So you know, this is where we kind of talk about evolution versus revolution. You have to kind of bring people, as Emmy would say, slowly, slowly. You have to bring yeah, people yeah. along like, and make a transition so that you don't suddenly leave hundreds of thousands of people with no yeah. source of income. Sure, yeah. sure. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. The question I was asking, uh, you know, being that uh, tea is their main source of income, uh, is this... 365 days a year that tea is farmed and picked and grown or is it something where seasonal where tea is picked like a year round yeah yeah year round because mm-hmm. like in a week you can pick like uh, twice or three times a week mm-hmm. so it's something which is like it does, yeah fast. it is continuous <laughs> because uh, like I said it's that like Kenya Tea Development Agency has like 71 factories at the moment by last year it had like 69 but now it has 71 this these tea factories are in those villages where you can go to a village with about a certain number of farmers I don't know I don't know exact number of farmers in, for that tea factory where each like uh, maybe twice or three times a day a week there is a big big lorry coming to the village hooting and picking tea from tea collection centers where these farmers take their tea so this is something which doesn't like happen on on like seasonal like maybe in the month of this and this no it is something which is continuous it is year round in fact like kenya tea development agency does their production almost daily except the weekends and maybe they give one day for like um, yeah one day to do repair of their machines to ensure their machines are doing well but given like from tuesday to friday they do like continuous production of tea so this is something which happens like yeah like continuous can we just um take a minute and describe i want to give the visual of what it really means to process the tea yeah so for example as Emmy was saying, these tea factories, they're sort of co-owned by KTDA and the farmers themselves. So one tea factory might have anywhere between 200 and maybe even 700 uh, smallholder farmers. And then those farmers have a governance board. So there's a sort of uh, a board of, of directors who are the farmers themselves. And then they have some decision-making authority in collaboration with the agency themselves. So to give you a visual, I think, you know, Emmy works in the tea sector, so she sees this every day, so I don't think she maybe had the same level of shock that I experienced, but um, it was the first time that I've actually visited the boiler room of a tea factory. I've been to tea factories before, but I I don't know, for some reason I never went to the boiler room. So you go to the boiler room and um, there are two boilers firing, I think maybe around the clock, 24 hours, because the tea has to first wither and then it has to be dried in order to make black tea. This is all for black tea. All black tea? All black tea. Only? Only black tea has to be withered and dried this way. So if you could imagine a boiler that's the size of you know, like an oil tanker truck. 
Mm-hmm. You know those mm-hmm. trucks? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's about that size. Oh. It's a huge boiler. Mm-hmm. And usually you'll have a few boiler workers there, um, you know, strong young guys. <laughs> and they're feeding the boiler with these big cut logs of wood. They're throwing in one log per second. Mm-hmm. So, and the the visual, I, when I saw that, my heart just sank and I realized why we're doing this project. We've been working with the Kenya Tea Development Agency and all these smallholder farmers doing trainings and, you know, providing access to information to these farmers on how to to farm in a more sustainable way. Mm -hmm. You know, protecting the waterways, reducing your herbicides, composting, pruning, all of these different methods that are used to increase the yield Mm -hmm. of tea on a small area of land Mm -hmm. so that they can pick more and make more money without expanding into the forest, right? Mm -hmm. So these farmers, they're Rainforest Alliance certified tea tea farms, so, you know, that means that they're more sustainable the way that they do Mm -hmm. things. But as soon as you go to the boiler room, you realize, oh, this tea is not sustainable. Right, right, right. Yeah. Because they're feeding in like uh, one one tea factory can use to up to 700 trees a month yeah so for like one tea factory can use up to 700 trees like so in a month yeah that means a lot yeah so when you're in the yard you can literally see see a heap of mountains mountain of cut logs and when i saw how much it would probably be the equivalent to like um one city block in manhattan right and i asked them how long will this wood last and they said three to four months so that's where you realize, oh, okay, you might be doing sustainable methods on the farm. Yes, but... But with this volume of wood, mm-hmm. and, and now at this point, they're sort of realizing that the wood, you know, there's it's supposed to be traced to make sure that they come from wood farms, mm-hmm. like tree plant, you know, where, where they do tree planting, mm-hmm. but sometimes the source isn't even clear. So some of yeah. this could be illegal wood. It could be native trees from native forests. So that's where we, again, we get into this vicious cycle of poverty among farmers, them needing to expand or somehow use you know, illegal wood or encroach into forest land. Then the deforestation causes climate change. Forests are rainmakers, so the rain doesn't come. And then the tea harvest is smaller or ruined. And then that exacerbates the poverty. So it's just the cycle of agricultural poverty, Mm -hmm. deforestation, climate change, low yield poverty again. And uh, these tea factories have really tried to have like their own forests. Mm -hmm. But these forests can just offer up to like 50% of the wood they need. So it means that 50% they have to really source outside. Mm -hmm. And when the government gave a ban, that was really... A tough one to mm. them and this means uh, it trickles down to the farmer mm. when their farmers get like uh, at the end of the year they get a bonus but now if firewood is expensive or they cannot get enough firewood they cannot burn enough uh, tea mm-hmm. they cannot take enough tea from the farmer which means the farmer gets little money yeah. at the end of the day yeah. so yeah. 
this really affects not only the climate, the, the environment, also also the farmer suffers mm -hmm. a lot, yeah. That's a good example of, I think, a policy that sounds great. Mm -hmm. Oh, Kenya's national government, they right. enacted a, a total ban mm -hmm. on deforestation. Sounds great. What is there not to like? But then when you actually study how it affects farmers, then that means they have basically no profit margin yeah. whatsoever. And it creates a lot of stress and even can contribute to political unrest. Oh, for sure. I can imagine. Now, I, I, that makes me think of like what other industries could be um, developed out of the sheer need to replace, like, you know, you can't keep going at this rate, even if you were to just remove the, the, the fact of like the trees, is there another way of, you know, processing it? Yeah. Is there another, you know, is there something else that could be developed to, to kind yes. of compensate, you know? There yeah. are, but they're really expensive. Yeah, very, very expensive. So the because one boiler is, what, what did we determine? $800,000 $800, to replace one, one of those boilers. Mm. I mean, what we really need is for, you know, someone to come and, and replace all of those to solar power. Right, right. Systems. Yeah. Is yeah. There, yeah. That, they're the same really... boilers which were, which were mm -hmm. brought by the colonizers, and mm -hmm. they, were, they made them in a way that it was to use wood. Yeah, because at that time the forest cover was. I was gonna so say that, that that seems like an antiquated yeah, yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. Um, changing solution. it is is really is really expensive. it would be costly. Yeah, yeah. very very costly. Gotcha. That's why we're switching to an alternative to the use of briquettes, mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. is at least environment friendly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, it can still work the same as wood, gotcha. even much better than wood. Mm. That is why the Rainforest Alliance is here to ensure that we catalyze, we do a partial switch. We cannot f do like a full switch because gotcha. these are boilers which were made to use wood. Mm -hmm. So that's why we're doing a partial switch of 30% use of briquettes and 70% use of wood. Gotcha. Yeah. This is where we get into harm reduction. Yeah, for right? sure. So yeah. the best that we can do in this context the... is harm reduction. And I think it's, it's still a really worthy goal. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it, but it also makes me think of like what other, you know, is there is there other industry that's there that we, you know what I mean? Like there are other skills that you could sort of bring to the table to help offset like the communities being so reliant on tea farming as opposed to, like you said, like like maybe yeah. and obviously cut like uh, what you say avocado. Yeah, farming. Th that is what people are really trying to mm -hmm. embrace right now. But there is a lot which, it's, it's a which they curve. need to really know. Yeah, Remember, yeah. an avocado tree d doesn't just grow like in a year. Yeah, for it, sure. It needs to it take time. time. Yeah. So there is need for enough education to mm -hmm. know the right. Uh, type of sure, avocado yeah. for export yeah, we yeah, not yeah. only plant them to eat them no yeah, we need yeah. we need to do it like maybe for years in advance and so mm -hmm. and it seems like um mm -hmm. i saw not long ago uh, a piece on like somewhere in the west coast the avocado farms are not producing in the same way because of lack of rain and maybe there's some way that you could connect those people with this with the expertise and they don't have the climate to sort of connect with the folks in Kenya and and bring this sort of this union because there's a need there and there'd be fulfillment. Obviously, they need to go yeah. to Kenya to, to achieve that, but it seems like there's you know you, you have to there's some, some voids to fill in order to mm -hmm. meet 
these uh, these needs, these needs yeah. yeah and like it's agricultural general. exchange program yes yeah yeah exactly. if there was an agriculture yeah right? yeah because these people yeah. can can even in my in my village i've seen many people who have shifted in my village we do a lot of maize mm-hmm. the corn yeah of course. and wheat but now because of climate change you cannot predict so most people want to shift to planting avocados mm. but now they don't know the right one to, for yeah. export because others you plant and you're told no this one it takes like few days and it's rotten you cannot yeah. even export it yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're like now we spent like two to four years to five years waiting for it and now you can you have to tell us like it's nothing it's not, so yeah. do i need to wait for another four to ten to five years to plant the one you want and mm-hmm. i'm not even sure if what you're telling me is right mm-hmm. so these people still have like they don't have enough knowledge to know what exactly they need to to plant mm-hmm. so i think the part of the exchange program on exactly what does the global market need yeah. mm-hmm. in the avocado sector what does it say mean to do an export what does it mean to have enough because if just one farmer does it and does like um, few trees of avocado that is so little for export we need yeah. like a number of people who can embrace this and do it like as a real real business for export and it can really like work well yeah. so we still have like little knowledge about yeah. it yeah sometimes i wonder though you know in a place like kenya where the land is very good for farming i mean what if kenyans you know just decided to grow food for themselves instead of for export what if all of yeah. these countries around the yeah. world where we they, can, they can do these, that but that's a lot know. also it can be so so much yeah, yeah. the country cannot cannot consume point. all that yeah. right yeah yeah but I, i mean i guess you know crop diversification is one mm-hmm. thing that we've also tried to emphasize and mm-hmm. also income diversification so mm-hmm. you know the idea is if the tea sector is unstable yeah. or you're not earning enough money from your cash crop then you know you start growing other things start growing mm-hmm. bamboo you start growing mm-hmm. fruit trees or whatever um but i think the larger problem is you know and there's no answer for this you know how can we undo the globalization of our economy mm-hmm. right like how it, we can't really go backward to how things used to be sure. so where do we go from here i think that's the big mm-hmm. question um new technologies yeah like uh like but i guess we need a new infrastructure like uh urban farming where uh things are farmed mm-hmm. up versus out mm-hmm. here uh in general yeah but kenya doesn't really so, yeah, do need it really because we still have farms yes plenty of it sounds like you have all this land that you need to preserve mm-hmm. versus spreading out right you build up yeah and you That's know you have so much sun solar can power that versus mm-hmm. the idea of uh of having to spread out need more land mm-hmm. for more farms there's a lot of also chinese investment in kenya yeah. can you talk about <laughs> that <laughs> yeah well, in, in africa that. in general yeah. Yeah. in general that's but before but, you yeah. before you go into that let's yeah. stop for a break and um and we'll we'll be right back
So we're back. You said there's a lot of investment, Chinese investment in Kenya, but the Chinese investment is in the continent of Africa in general, right? How, how and when did Chinese investment come to Kenya? Uh, right now, that? like we're developing our infrastructure mm-hmm. and the Chinese is in the lead in doing that. Mm-hmm. We are like in Kenya right now, we are... Now, when you say infrastructure, what? Infrastructure to mean like the roads. The, ra- the roads. The roads, the okay. railway line. Mm-hmm. We don't use railway in Kenya, per se. Mm-hmm. Like the new one came a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can tell you, I've not even used the railway myself in Kenya. <laughs> I use it here mm-hmm. <laughs> and in outside Kenya. But um, that's what Chinese is doing right now in Kenya. Mm-hmm. We're still developing and building our roads and our highways. They're doing a good job there, and that is why they are there right now. What's really? the reception like? You know, because uh, I, I read a lot, um, and I I see that there is <laughs> there is some thought that um, this is just a new version of imperialism. Um, uh, and then I see some thoughts that you know there's some changes that need to happen. Um, then I I I hear that um, there there are people in the community who feel like um, it's it's short-sighted in that, you know, it looks good now, but in the future, um, it, it, it won't be so good. Uh, that's something maybe I cannot really give a clear mm-hmm. look about it. But uh, you can you can even see maybe through social media times how Kenyans react so much about these people, mm-hmm. and they are like we are indirectly being colonized mm-hmm. as much as we are seeing like good things coming to us right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, in the near future, where are we heading to? We are like every other time I can put it quote and unquote like mm-hmm. we we're telling our president on social media like you're selling our country. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? You don't feel good. Yeah. Now, is it a, a trust issue? Uh, recently read an article. I'm not sure who shared it. Maybe I shared it, but it was about uh, the tree planting in Chicago, and the people don't trust it. They don't trust anything coming from the government. Now, with the issue of like you know being colonized prior, or watching other countries being colonized, it's hard to trust someone from outside the culture bringing something that may be better to the country. So, is it like a, a track history? Is it you know? Okay, there's this thing which is, it is too good to believe in it. Why are they so much into wanting to do it? Why are they like, that is uh, about now what is going on in infrastructure in Kenya. But um, like for us, for our government, we trust our government. The other day we had like a tree planting um, initiative where the government says we need to plant like uh, one million trees. And they go to public schools. Each pupil, like each student pupil, plants a tree and ensures they take care of that tree to the age that, when it, that tree is like past my head, I get a small gift for doing that. So this encourages those kids to ensure they look after that tree so much. They not only plant, they grow the tree themselves. They ensure that every morning they water the tree. So some things from I believe Kenya still really believes in their government as much as some things may not go so well, but some things really work, work so well because our government also has some good interests for the people. And the idea of change mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, 
you the dominance. <laughs> if you know, I hate to bring up money, but if you don't have the money, it's gotta come from somewhere. E, yeah. Maybe we don't have enough money to to, to do I mean, our one infrastructure. infrastructure. Yeah, it's not even changing off of you know just wishing it to change. Yeah, yeah. And so on and yeah, so yeah. It can just like change today. How do you hold a government accountable if it's the governments who who are putting if it's the government who's putting and corporations that are putting China in a position to um, practice uh, neo colonist principles like how do you hold the government accountable that's so hard yeah, i don't think there's a way we have to do that it's a very young yeah it was a very young democracy Nation. 1963 mm-hmm. and yeah became independent yeah. independent from britain from, from britain, britain. Yeah. but but yeah. also that the government prior to this one was a military mm-hmm. was a dictatorship mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i think in terms of the culture of democracy yeah you you see you see now we still have like when when you have the government like the ruling government Mm -hmm. and we have the opposition Mm -hmm. at least the opposition would at least guard the government you should not do this you should not at least it happens but now in kenya like right now Mm -hmm. the opposition is like working even with the government so there's no one to watch like the government directly yeah because the opposition so who's holding china accountable no, really, I don't think there's anyone doing that. We, it's the government. You know, now there's no like, um, if the government is working with the opposition, mm-hmm. if the government says this, and the, and the, it's like it's the government and the opposition doing the same thing. Same thing. So who will say it's wrong or it's it's bad? No one will say that because it's only maybe Kenyans can really shout on social media, but it goes mm, now. It's, it's just so. Um, Ironic to me that the scramble for Africa is still occurring. You know, the scramble for Africa happened uh, some time ago, and it's still occurring in this climate. You know, bread, uh, Africa as a continent has always been the breadbasket of the world. If you, if imagine if communities like Kenya uh, control their own narrative from a, a environmental aspect, the economic aspect that would really change that would force the world to have to change how it how we react or relate to one another um i would love to see that happen one day because i don't think um i don't think we can continue to survive as an environment uh with this exploitive relationship that we have with resources you know and in africa in general you know we despite what's going on in Africa and what Africa's been through, Africa is still, to me, one of the most abundant, rich uh, places regarding resources and minerals and, and all these other things. But if we're still going on the same exploitive, capitalistic way of looking at things and, and resources, then we're going to find ourselves in the same position again. Um, and, and it, so it just concerns me about, you know, to me, it's about accountability and how are we holding each other accountable, communities accountable, but more importantly, these corporations and these leaders who often sometimes are on the same team. And it's the people who are left outside by the, by themselves. You know, I'm just curious. Yeah. Like, how yeah. do you, you know. Right. I can't relate. <laughs> right, so. <laughs> well, I also wish to be there someday. Yeah. I'm hoping we will be there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think 
one thing that we have to remember is we need Kenya's national forest cover to be 10%. Yeah. That 10% target is a global target set under the Paris Climate Agreements. But is, what happens, and though, when you have corpor- uh, corporations, yeah. countries like the United States who are walking away from their obligations? Yeah, to, so that's actually, when we want to kind of talk about it on a global political level, one really big need that has become obvious through working on this project is a real need for sustainability investment and you know ultimately to replace those boilers eight hundred thousand dollars to replace a wood-fired boiler Mm -hmm. where is that money going to come from yeah under the paris climate agreement each country made a financial commitment and the wealthier countries that really became rich they they are rich and wealthy because of colonization you know they are supposed to supply more in terms of financing for climate action Mm -hmm. so each country made a commitment germany the uk the united states whatever they all made these commitments do you know most of these wealthy nations have not paid up on their they haven't actually given over the money so they promised the money they haven't given over the money Another really interesting aspect of this international negotiation, even to get to an international consensus in Paris, colonized nations, post-colonial nations like Kenya, were not allowed to mention Mm colonial history in the negotiations. So in the negotiations they <laughs> how were, could they, how could you even come up were, with it uh, became a stumbling block. So the the wealthy, you know, global north nations mm-hmm. be, they, they did not even want in the conversation this idea that you caused this, therefore it's your responsibility to fix it. And it became such a stumbling block that that was one of the rules of engagement. You cannot this, mention the past. That's that's why that's why imagine? for me, honestly, that's why this could never be done in a tidy or um, neat. It it has to be done in a revolutionary way because any other way, you're basically it's like racism here in the United States. Um, once you're negotiating with the person or the entities that have their foot on your neck. You you're never going to see your freedom. You're only going to see a modification of it of of the oppression that you're dealing with, and it all it almost seems as though you're going to really have to. One of the biggest things you can do is educate a new generation of people to think in in such a critical way and in a revolutionary way that there will be no certain things aren't negotiable. Like that shouldn't you that that to me is a, is 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 almost like a slap in the face to say that you for for an issue that's so directly tied to the to to the problem how could you say we can't so <laughs> we're, we're demanding that countries like kenya bring their forest cover up to 10 percent, but we're not helping them with the financial investment that they need to do it the problem is when we talk about a sort of developing a revolutionary consciousness, yes, it's very much true that the consciousness has to radically shift. But when you were out of the room mm-hmm. a while ago, we were also talking about the fact that you can't just sort of have a revolution in the tea sector because there are 600,000 yeah. smallholder tea yeah. who rely, who rely, who rely on, on tea yeah. to survive. They mm-hmm. have no means of earning cash. So you can't just so say, unless you introduce a, a new, no yeah, more tea, you, we're growing for yeah, ourselves. Yeah. You can't do you that. You can't do it. Mm-hmm. You have to bring And that, you know what? That, that, that is very, that's, 
that is very unfortunate and that's a reality of what happens when you've been in uh, an exploitive system for so long where there hasn't been any other ideology put out there to, to wean people off of this system. And that, that's, a, that's a reality. And beyond ideology, you know, also the plan, the infrastructure, the access to financing, mm -hmm. all of the other things that need to be in place to execute mm -hmm. a radical culture change. Mm -hmm. You can't do you can't it, do it. So, unless you have all of these other logistical mm -hmm. things in place. So that was the fascinating thing about this project, learning yeah. about this project, because they're doing what, it sounds so simple, right? Mm -hmm. Get the tea sector and tea farmers to change over to renewable fuel. But there were like a million obstacles, right? Yeah. yeah. Like the boilers can only go to 30%. That right there is like a huge obstacle. Mm -hmm. So what do we do to actually get to 100% renewable energy? Or with tea farmers, for example, mm -hmm. getting them to switch to briquettes in their stoves mm -hmm. and home use, well, you have to first create a supply and you have to then create a demand. demand. How do you get people to understand that this is happening? What about quality? There were lots of issues with yeah. like quality control. People mm -hmm. say, oh, I'm gonna make eco briquettes and then they're like, you know, they fall apart and they don't work mm -hmm. and then someone's angry that they paid this money you know so I guess what's so interesting to me about working with my colleagues in other countries is here we have these really strong ideas ADIM. about making radical change and changing the system but then when we go on the ground where the, the people where the rubber hits the road it's yeah. just like oh yeah. wow this is so much more complicated yeah, than we yeah, ever yeah. imagined and you know one wrong can really change a lot of people you can just mess once with the quality and you have like 10 people shifting away. When will you bring back these people? It's mm. really a challenge, but we really, really want to work with our people to ensure the quality is good. Yeah. These things should be accepted in the community, but not forcing them to have it. We have mm -hmm. to really give them a good thing that they will want to continue. We also need sustainability. Mm -hmm. We don't want to, when the project comes to an end, everything ends there. Mm -hmm. We want these people to continue embracing this continuously. So we not only do this like just for these entrepreneurs to just conserve the environment alone, but we're doing like a business model mm -hmm. where these people can earn something for themselves. So uh, you can see most of the people whom we recruited, we now have like seven of them. Where we needed to, at least by the end of the project, we have 10 uh, by end of next, uh, June next year. But now we need these people to continue doing this business. So they do it like it's a business model where they make briquettes. We support, uh, the project supported them to get machines of, to make briquettes and they sell these briquettes and they earn something. Most of these people were casual laborers in the tea farms. They used to wake up in the morning, go to the tea farms, pick the tea for those farmers who own uh, a big, maybe Almost a portion of land. Yeah. And uh, maybe, you know, tea is not picked with machines. Like for KTDM, you have to just be specific on the number of leaves you want. It's two leaves and and a bag so you can't use a machine because machine can pick like everything mm -hmm. and that's not needed so we use like human labor these people wake up in the morning go to the farms do the picking of tea every day so we also ensure that we create like job opportunities for mm -hmm. these people they not only like um 
work in making briquettes they also employ people they work with so we help one person to also help other people in the community and to bring like continuity in this thing so we really really working to ensure that we not only equip these people for now we also want these people to like continue after the project yeah the yeah. idea is that the work shouldn't stop just because the project yeah. is over sure. it then has to kind of continue like you're on the runway and then it has to take flight yeah. on its own and that, that's where the economic incentive really um, comes in so you have to build a business model that begins to drive itself and then people will keep going and then they become the engines of change also across the world how many how many territories or countries do you think are in a position that Kenya is in so many I don't know <laughs> I mean we work like the Rainforest Alliance works in probably 60 countries that are primarily agricultural sector agricultural export economies mm. and that's only a partial switch I mean a partial sorry a partial number mm. um, and what I mean by similar yeah. saying kind of what you just how you couched it is that you know you have people on one end saying yo this system needs to change but where the problem is existing these people oh, are yeah. reliant on this um, this industry mm-hmm. uh, I mean so many places you know all, all of Central America and the coffee sector for example mm-hmm. or the entire country of Colombia mm-hmm. really heavily dependent on the coffee sector all throughout Central America and South mm-hmm. America you know these banana economies mm-hmm. you know the, the term banana republic, republic comes from mm-hmm. a lot of these um, countries that were once you know they were once they all they they existed in whatever form Mm -hmm. their economies existed in whatever form they were before Mm -hmm. primarily subsistence and maybe smaller scale local economies and then we came in and we turned them into we meaning call you know the Mm -hmm. united states Mm -hmm. i don't identify with we but i'm just saying that the the Mm -hmm. these um corporations and also uh imperialist nations went in and changed those countries into single export economies. Um, Jamaica's another one. Life and Debt, I don't know if you saw that mm-hmm. film, mm-hmm. but great you know, film. that's a really good film. It's mm-hmm. a great explainer on what happens to an economy when, when it becomes too reliant on one export. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, that sums up like you know so many places like you said um, there are like too many to, to mention mm-hmm. but um, yeah but you guys are doing some amazing work and you know we definitely appreciate that um, we give you our combine <laughs> <laughs> when are you going back uh, to Kenya? Approval. tomorrow morning oh. <laughs> and you, you go back and forth to the United States and Kenya um, okay this is my first time first time here? yeah what no. do you think? Time, yeah so so good. Yeah, I don't want to go, but uh, I need to go. And how long? Have you, how long have you been here? It's like a week. week. I, I came here on. I arrived on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. No Tuesday. Tuesday. First Tuesday. time in America. First time in America. Oh wow! My first time, but my my country gave me like a five year visa, mm-hmm. so I can just come even for a visit. Mm-hmm. I hope you. will Let's become. Yes, of course. Well, I I think we shouldn't really leave on a hopeless note because 
you know, it is really overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to change such big systems. Mm-hmm. But um, there are really good, very, very smart people mm-hmm. all over the world. Emmy and all of our colleagues in Nairobi are just one small group. Mm-hmm. But there are people all over the world who are yeah. doing this work, who understand the local challenges, but also the local keys to success. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the United States is really behind in terms Absolutely. of you know mobilizing people and mm-hmm. for changing systems, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, my my problem with a lot of American citizens is that they don't understand that their privilege or their comfort here in America is directly related to someone else's discomfort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the world. yeah, yeah. And they don't get yeah. that. They're not mm-hmm. as connected. Like Emmy no. was saying, or we were saying earlier, mm-hmm. 75% of Kenyans depend on farming. So yeah. they know that, you know, I think they, they're more connected they also to the, their yeah, food mm-hmm. source. So they understand here, where the food comes from. Yeah, yeah, Americans here, food comes from the store. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They don't understand that. Like Someone... in, in rural Kenya community, mm-hmm. like almost 90% of the food comes from the farm. Mm. So very, very little is from the store mm. because they plant like it's kales, mm-hmm. tomatoes, onions. Mm-hmm. They have all that carrots in the farm. So mm. what they can buy is very little like oil, salt. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So hopefully we'll yeah. catch up someday to yeah. the rest of the people in the world. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> Hope you one day come to Kenya. I want to come. I want to go. I want to. I was really planning on going last year, but some mm-hmm. things happened and messed messed it up. But I, I'm hoping. What do you really want to come and see in Kenya? I I just want to. I wanted. I did a DNA, mm-hmm. and um, my dad's DNA went. Mm-hmm to Ethiopia and Uganda, mm-hmm. but I had a friend who went to Kenya and they uh, they raved about how how much they enjoyed it yeah. and the people mm-hmm. and, and the yeah. food, and the beach. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's one of my yeah. top five <laughs> she can tell places you about in the Lamo. world. Yeah. <laughs> I cried when I left. Yeah, I, I, I want to I get so there good. hopefully this year. All right, well, thank you ladies for coming. Um, thank you for being our guest today and sharing all that information, all that knowledge. And um, we look forward to visiting you in Nairobi and, yeah. and uh, learning more.
The same as the 